Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is going on between Harry, Meghan and the British royal family? Well, if you were wondering what the British press would do once Brexit was over, you can stop your musing. The media gods have delivered Megxit. And I don't think there is a soul in the UK who didn't have just even a little bit of a gasp when they heard that Meghan and Harry had quit their families to get real jobs. Obviously, that's a bit of a too simplistic take, but the interest has pretty much crossed the water and WhatsApp groups and pub conversations in Ireland did turn to the Duke and Duchess of Sussex in recent weeks. And to help you have those chats in a more informed way, we've brought in some experts. Ronan Duffy is back in his uh, false mantle of the Journal.ie's royal correspondent. We don't actually have one of them, but um, this is your second explainer on the family. And also journalist and broadcaster Connor Behan and royal finances expert David McClure. Just before we start, in case you think we're not acknowledging it, we do know that a general election has been called. And to let all of our listeners know, we will be covering election topics on The Explainer. At least one of them will be with a live audience. Uh, So keep an eye out on the journal.ie for details about how to be part of that audience. Right, Ronan, back to the Duke and Duchess. Can you bring us to the day when the news broke? How did it play out? Yeah, well, I suppose the entire crisis, I suppose, if you want to call it that, um, kind of kicked off last week the evening of it was the 8th of January so just you know into the new year and Harry and Meghan released this statement on their social media accounts saying that they wanted to quote step back as senior members of the royal family and work uh, to become financially independent they also said uh, crucially that they wanted to split the time between the UK and North America and carve out a quote progressive new role within the institution and you know we've since come to realize when they say North America they mean Canada they seem to have a lot of affection for Canada and that statement it clearly took uh, the rest of the royal family off guard because Buckingham Palace which effectively speaks on behalf of the Queen and put out a short two-line statement you know quite a terse statement that said basically that we understand the desire to take a different approach but these are complicated issues that will take time to work through so from that and from the days that followed it kind of became clear that Harry and Meghan made this decision to go with this announcement without notifying the Queen. And this was a point that drove papers mad over the following few days. And there was you know, a lot of coverage of this. There were the usual briefings from unnamed royal aides about how angry the Queen was. And that's how kind of things developed until we got to this Sandringham Summit, as it was called on Monday. Yeah, before we get to Sandringham, do we know much of why Harry and Meghan made this decision to try and resign because I don't think they have resigned yet they've tried to resign from their role senior roles as in as part of the royal family yeah well I mean it hasn't really come much out of the blue this announcement I mean there has been a straining of the relationship between Harry Meghan the UK press and then the wider royal family um, as a thing, a lot of it happened last year when Harry and Meghan, they split their own household from Kensington Palace which is the household of Harry's brother William and they got their own separate head of communications. They set up this now famous Sussex Royal Instagram account. They left their joint charities and they trademarked this Sussex Royal brand and perhaps became a bit of an indication about how they're going to make their money in the future. So this kind of separation seems to have been kind of part of 
of what's been going on for the last 12 months, basically. And so we get to Sandringham. So this announcement has been made. Then there's this Sandringham meeting. What happened or what do we know about what happened there? Yeah, I mean, this uh, meeting or summit, as it's been called, was, you know, breathlessly reported all over the world for for a while. I mean, we saw there was uh, journalists all over the world camped outside this estate, the Queen's estate. And basically it involved the Queen holding a meeting with Harry. Um, with William, so Harry's brother, and her own son, Prince Charles, who's the first in line to the throne. And basically what came out of this meeting was the Queen saying that although she would have preferred if they were to stay um, within the royal family, she's, quote, entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create new life. Um, she said they made it clear they don't want to be reliant on public funds. Um, but she did refer to them as Meghan and Harry and the Sussexes in the statement. Now, a lot of people took that to mean that, you know, she wasn't giving them their full titles. You know, did you and Duchess of Sussex but she didn't take those titles from them which is something that a lot of angry newspaper men and women were calling for. Ronan you've already brought up the public money it doesn't take long to bring up public money when Mm. you're talking about the royal family so I think this is a good time to bring in you David um, McClure as the royal finances expert currently so say before uh, Meghan and Harry made this announcement how exactly do they pay for their lifestyles or where does their money come from? Well, the main source of their money really comes from Harry's father, Prince Charles. We know from his accounts that Prince Charles sets aside £5 million every year from his own private duchy account. It's a, the duchy is a portfolio of land. So he sets aside £5 million to pay for not just the public duties of Harry and Meghan, but also for William and Kate. So dividing that by two, we know that in around about £2.5 million goes from Prince Charles to pay for the public duties uh, of Harry. But in addition to that, he gets some money from the taxpayer, from the main public fund called, known as the Sovereign Grant. So roughly, they get another £100,000 or so to pay for some of their office costs and also to, fa- to pay for some of the travel. Now, of course, when it comes to the Sovereign Grant, there was this one-off item last year whereby the, the taxpayer, effectively, paid £2.4 million to do up their new house, Frogmore Cottage, just just uh, close to Windsor Castle. So that's quite a bit of money. The one item that is often forgotten, of course, is security. And that's really the elephant in the room. No one knows the precise amount of money that goes to them because the security budget is, is very sensitive. But it's thought that the overall budget for all the royals is, about, is over £100 million. Now, one interesting thing that just came out recently that, you know, they're, they're planning to go to Canada. Well, one estimate from a security, from a Canadian security um, expert said that it was probably going to cost six million pounds a year just to protect them in Canada alone. So that's not for them going to America, to the United States or being in Britain, but solely for their stay in Canada. So security is a big and very expensive issue. Yeah, so they have said they want to be financially independent, but what of the money that they currently get will they not take once this uncoupling happens or once they actually resign from their senior roles? Well, that's a good question. No one really knows is, is a short answer. Of course, if Prince Charles is giving him giving Charles and Meghan £2.5 million a year to pursue their public duties, and they're saying they want to reduce, you know, to do significantly fewer public duties, then in theory... Charles should be giving them less money. But of course, you know, he has considerable powers of patronage. Interestingly, last week, there was a leak from the palace saying Charles wasn't prepared to give them a blank check. 
which I suppose is a, is a little warning that, you know, he does control the tap of the tap, the flow of funds. And in extremists, he could turn off that tap. But no one knows for sure what will happen in the future. You know, indeed, you know, it's not just a question of their public duties. One suspects that Charles pays for some of their, their private costs as well. So, you know, on, on one side, I suppose they might be looking for a bit more um, private support from Charles, not just for the funding of their public duties. That money from Charles that comes from what you explained as the duchy, is that deemed as public money or private money? Well, it, that is disputed. The duchy is a curious thing. It is an ancestral estate. It's really a medieval anomaly, and it goes back to the 14th century. Now, the palace describes it as a private estate, but it isn't really totally private. And the reason for that is that Charles could never sell it. It only goes with the title. So if Charles retired tomorrow, he wouldn't take the money. He couldn't go off with the duchy, which provides him with twenty-two million pounds a year. It goes with his position as heir to the throne. So, in that respect, the capital isn't entirely private. When it comes to the the income, you know, the money that comes from the rent, the actual cash, the actual, you know, the hard liquid cash. Now that is more private. But of course, if he's devoting five million pounds every year, you know, almost like a, a quarter of the total receipts from the duchy, and those go to public duties, then of course, there's also a slight doubt about, you know, whether the, the income is totally private either. So the honest answer is it's disputed. In broadly speaking terms, the capital is public, and the income is, broadly speaking, private. Okay, and so do we have any clue how much Harry and or Meghan together are worth if you take out the public money that they get every year? Well, there, there have been a lot of fanciful figures being banded about. I've heard that Harry is worth £30 million. Some of these figures are frankly ridiculous. What we know for certain is that Harry inherited £6.5 million from his mother Diana as a half share of her estate. We also know that he receives a small army pension. It is believed he also got some money from the Queen Mother, his great-grandmother, who we believe put aside uh, a tr very, several million pounds in a trust fund. So, you know, it is fair to say Harry himself could well be worth about 10 million pounds. Of course, Meghan has been a successful actress. You know, she was in that hit TV series Suits, did six series of that. And, you know, some estimates say that you know, she could be worth, you know, three million pounds. So altogether, their combined worth could well be of the order of 15 million pounds, which means that when we have all this talk about needing to be financially independent, you know, they're hardly going to be starving, at least in the short run. Unless they really blow through some money. The other big kind of question around this was the money, I think, was the biggest one. But, you know, there's so much... Uh, stead put into what titles everyone has like we had big conversations about kate not being a princess or you know archie not being a, a prince so what they are now currently the duke and duchess of sussex will they continue to be called that do they have a choice well that that is one of the issues that probably is being discussed in this very moment in the palace because we had this statement early in the week whereby they hope to get some sort of agreement uh, soon in the coming days, but more than likely, it's going to take months to work out these the details of things like royal titles. You know what they will be called, and in, and indeed other issues like that, whether there are questions of 
what public duties they're going to pursue, uh, going to pursue, uh, what private ones they're going to pursue, uh, and indeed whether they keep Frogmore Cottage. So, you know, whether it's royal titles or tax or public duties, it's all up in the air at the moment. And, you know, all these details really have to be, you know, hammered down and we have to get, you know, firm rules as to what's going to happen in the future. In your expert opinion, is there a possibility to carve out what they want to carve out, this progressive role, this um, idea that they can have working lives outside of, of their royal duties, that they can step back from the senior roles? Is that possible? Well, to be honest, we're entering totally uncharted waters because by convention, you're not allowed to be both a working royal and to make money. So they're really having to invent a whole new formula. And I suppose the real problem is what commercial activities we're talking about. More than likely, they're going to set up their own foundation and they're going to pursue other interests. But, you know, there's a danger that it could all get terribly tacky. You know, at the moment, there's talk of deals with Disney. I think Megan has already recorded a soundtrack for a Disney film. Uh, there's also talk of deals with um, Apple Television. I think they're going to do something with Opry Winfrey. But, of course, they, they could do things that are more commercial. So there's a real danger that if they get, you know, into merchandising, if to, I don't know, Megan dolls, you know, the possibility of, of fashion and, you know, perfume, it does look as though they will be cashing in on the royal name and the palace won't be happy. So in my opinion, although I'm sure, I'm sure in the short term they'll thrash out some deal and they'll get some fudged compromise. But in the long term, you know, there is a danger unless they come up with some magic formula, you know, their desire to step back from being senior royals could ultimately mean stepping down entirely from the royal household. Speaking of the press there with David, um, well, let's go back to some of the things we do know about why they made this decision. Connor, it's probably an understatement to say Meghan hasn't got an easy ride from the British press yeah. since she married. Um, can you take us through some of the coverage that we have seen? Well, I think the coverage, I mean, we've already mentioned has like they've been together a while and this coverage has been felt like it's been this way kind of almost. There was a grace period where Meghan sort of first appeared as Harry's girlfriend that then for about a month or two, like, who is this exciting new face that's going to revamp the royals that then suddenly kind of fell away? I think because they realised that this is someone who maybe doesn't play along with the traditional system and that did seem to aggravate some of the British press. So I think the coverage has been... There's been a bias just in terms of she doesn't seem quote unquote good enough because she's not coming from an established kind of royal paradigm. So I think the best example and the one that most people have probably have seen in the last seven days was on social media. People were doing kind of threads on Twitter in particular of kind of contrasting coverage of, say, Kate versus Meghan in the press and how they would do effectively the same thing. But say tabloids like the Daily Mail would would uh, report it in very like different ways. BuzzFeed, of course, did a piece that's now, I think, probably one of the most shared pieces of the last couple of weeks online. That is kind of a bunch of those headlines and quotes from those pieces as well, just contrasting how, for example, Kate had a secret morning sickness cure was avocados. But then, you know, when the same paper covered that with the Express, I believe, were saying that Megan's choice of liking avocados was, of course, problematic because they are from countries where famine and war and pestilence and all these awful things happen. So kind of taking them to like something simple like cradling your baby bump if you're Kate is adorable and chic if you're Megan it's give it a rest love why are you always at it so people seeing the very clear difference in how they're talked about and kind of scratching their heads and going why is this and why are they hammering this woman so hard yeah I mean as Connor mentioned there it, it's difficult to get away with get, get, get around the fact that there is 
some element of you know, racial kind of element to this. I mean, I'm ever since I started going out, um, Harry and Meghan, there were hints as to her mi- mixed race background in the media. Um, I think one example was was the male suggested that when they had a child, she'd bring some, or the child would bring some, quote, rich and exotic DNA into the royal family. Um, another was a quote on the front page of the Daily Mail after they got engaged. One of the columnists said she had some niggling doubts about this couple's future and many people questioned whether the use of that word was a dog whistle in itself. Um, she did play against tradition in some ways, but as did other other past royals. Kate has done that as well. And I think, you know, it's, it's a racist trope, basically, among racists that they say that they're okay with, say, immigration or people who aren't like themselves, so long as they... They go along with the traditions they like. We see it in Ireland. It manifests itself with, you know, immigration's okay as long as people speak English, but they have to respect our traditions, like Christmas and you can't be opening halal shops, all that kind of thing. Now, that's at the extreme end. But in Meghan's case, it's like the papers are okay with her as long as she, you know, toes the line completely. But as soon as she tries to do something in any way slightly different, that's when it kicks in and she's treated differently. And that's how, I mean, we've had questions online this week and people saying, you know, I want you to point to the racism of, of the coverage it's more it's an overall idea that she is treated differently to other people and this is something that we've heard from harry and Meghan themselves on connor which is interesting because i think you kind of you almost forget that like harry's mother was princess diana as and i know that sounds silly but he is such a name now and there's so much chat about them and you forget that he has seen what the press can do to someone in the royal family sphere who may be plays the press differently, is a bit more rebellious. And I think right off the bat, he is probably suspicious of the press in a way. Maybe other members of the family aren't. They assume that the relationship is kind of, you know, I guess friendly almost, and they're going to have an understanding. Whereas I think Harry on some level is like, I know what you did that kind of maybe damaged my mother and maybe led to her untimely death. And I'm sure that's how he feels. And so that, I think he's already in that space about it. And then he's no dummy. He's seeing the very clear, and we're talking about it's that sort of insidious bias and that sort of, air quotes around certain things and choices of phrases that when you stack it up start to kind of paint a very specific kind of picture I think I think he's very early on called out the British press for the racial undertones of how they spoke about her he called out the commentary just online which interestingly the Huffington Post did a piece this week where I think they took like a 24 hour span of when this announcement happened and collated the comments under things online and tweets and so many of them used you know outwardly racist language and kind of phrases that do have that bent to them. So he was picking up something years ago that is still going on now. So he wasn't afraid to say, you guys are not actually doing unbiased reporting. You're doing the opposite. You're leading with a very racial swing to how you're talking about this woman and I won't have it, which in a weird, horrible way, almost, I think, lit a fire under certain corners of the press to go, oh, you thought that was bad? Just you wait. You know, it's which some of this is doing as well, which I think is probably frustrating for them as they try and move forward. Connor, can I just get a few more examples of the things, or Ronan, you can mm. come in on this too, of things that Megan did that seemed to be railing against the tradition or the way things are done that kind of started to get people to go against her or get the press to like rail against her? It's interesting because some of them are like, oh, that is a shift away and some of them feel negligible. Like she was, at, I think it was the British Fashion Awards either this year or the year before and she wore a black dress with one shoulder showing. It was this really elegant like fashion moment for her. And of course, people always bring up Princess Diana is still, if you see on social media now, she's still referenced as this fashion icon. In fact, there's people I think of younger generations discovering her looks and stuff via social media and, you know, all these headlines going, Megan breaks protocol by bearing a shoulder at a public event, blah, blah, you know, going off on her effectively. And then on social media, people were like, here are numerous instances mm. of you praising Princess Diana for wearing dresses of a similar co- 
with the same amount of flesh or more showing. So little things like that. I thought the reaction to her two baby showers, which actually does come up in the cases they're taking against the press where they claim there was misreporting by the Daily Mail about who was at those baby showers and why the fact that they had one in the UK and one in the US. They were trying to paint it as this excessive spending on Meghan's part and it was a celebrity kind of knees up when there's I think maybe two or three recognisable Hollywood names there it was largely her close friends from the US and Canada that were at that. Obviously for her it was like, meet me in New York, it's easier than for all of you coming to London to find me, you know, that kind of way. So and the reaction of, to that was telling. A lot of that comes into the fact that there's a lot of crossover between this couple um, with celebrity and royalty. I mean, one of the things that came up during the summer was when Meghan attended Wimbledon and apparently she didn't allow people to take photographs of her when she was sitting there uh, watching a match in Wimbledon and people were like, well, you know, you're sitting there as Duchess of Sussex, you have a responsibility to at least be open to your public. But she would argue that she was there in her personal capacity to watch her friend Serena Williams competing. And again, it's difficult to know where does, can you be there in a personal capacity when you are Meghan Markle. But those are the kind of stories that were brought up um, endlessly when people were, were saying she's perhaps not acting in a way that um, we expect of someone in that position. How does the relationship between the British royal family and the press usually operate? Well, I think that's kind of another interesting element to this as well, is that there's very much been, you know, what you might describe as a symbiotic relation between the royal family and the press in that they both need each other. Like the press very much needs the royal family because it gives them acres of of column inches. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen that this over the last week, I think one of the papers had the first 17 pages was about this kind of crisis. And in the past, the royal family has felt that it also needs the press to be on side because that's how it gets its message out there. The royal family in itself, you know, it's a figurehead as well. You know, it, it actually doesn't do anything in that sense. So it, it needs the coverage to be out there. But these days, there are a lot of other ways to get your, your face out there and to get your message out there around the press. And that's what Meghan and Harry have taken advantage of to in a way that other royals haven't been able to do. Because they have really taken their statement kind of even took against the press within it. So what's their plan for the press net once they actually get this split underway? Well, they seem to still want to engage the press. They're kind of saying they're going to move away from the royal rota, which includes a very broad range of newspapers. It's even surprising to see papers like the Daily Express and the Times sat beside you on that list of what papers are on the royal rota, because I think in your head you think kind of stuffy, certain kind of coverage when you're actually like, it's everything the broadsheets, the tabloids. And they're effectively saying we won't be taking part in that and we will engage in our own way. And in an interesting way, and it's sometimes used as a criticism of Meghan Markle that she was famous before she met him and she was an actress and there's this implication that she from Hollywood and she's on the mark but it's also like people in Hollywood understand how to navigate the press because it's a huge part of their job whether you're an actress like she was on a popular but maybe the biggest show in the world but a popular TV series where you do junkets and go and meet critics and do you know engage the press that way two big A-listers that she's now mingling with when she goes to the, the premiere of The Lion King and Beyonce and Jay-Z are there so I think Harry and Meghan in a way understand the celebrity approach to the press and the media and how much that has changed in the last 10 years alone and they're going we can do something similar. If you look at how celebrities use social media now to get ahead of a story when a paper goes after it, or even when something is dug up online by fans, they'll go on their Instagram story and go, yeah, that happened five years ago. I'm handling it now. So there's a sort of celebrity approach that some people might kind of grimace at, but I actually think is smart because the world and celebrity have 
collided and clashed anyway. And people view this the this these pair in particular differently to other royals, I think, particularly outside of the UK. So they're like, use that approach if you want. Just to go back to something you brought up there, Connor, can we explain what the Royal Rota is just for people who aren't in the media world? Yeah, so it's a group of papers that would kind of engage with the royal family. They're given kind of, I guess, priority access to stories and they'd be kind of, we have these photos from this thing, you will have them, you can publish them tomorrow. There's more, I guess, of a, an understanding and an official engagement there. So those papers include the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror, the Times, the Daily Express, the Sun, the Telegraph, the Evening Standard, which, as we just said, is sort of an interesting you could argue these papers all come from a similar kind of perspective or point of view in some ways, but they're seen as different kind of outlets also. So generally the royal family, as you've mentioned, have that relationship because they also need it. You know, it's a two-way street in a lot of ways. So they've always kind of played that game. And I think part of the problem, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but part of I think where the press are really getting their claws in in certain corners is, you know, Meghan and Harry are kind of like, we're not going to do the photo on the steps with the baby. Mm. Like, she's just giving birth, she's not into it. Now, I'm simplifying that. I'm sure yeah. the tone wasn't that when they said it. But, you know, that's sort of their vibe. And I think that's, they're already pushing against that kind of idea and that system, that setup. Partly because they've mistreated them, I would argue. And also because, as they say in their statement, media has changed a lot. And we don't, they're saying that the landscape, but since digital media has taken off, has meant that they don't need to engage with these papers the same way. Just to stick on the press question, um, just to explain to listeners, Harry and Meghan haven't just criticised them. They're actually taking a couple of them to court. Connor, do you have details that you can just run through on those cases for us? Yeah. So, I mean, it's worth remembering kind of the end, I think it was November of last year, this emerged that they're taking legal action against parts of the UK press over their reporting. They're taking legal action against the kind of the company that owns papers like The Mail on Sunday. They're arguing that... The, uh, they've been printing, quote, untrue stories, uh, including kind of speculation around Frogmore Cottage and how much that renovation allegedly costs. They're also taking action about how the Daily Mail reported the private letter that Meghan sent her father, Thomas Markle, who we know has been a very public figure the last couple of years, uh, talking about his daughter in the press. And at one point wasn't speaking to his daughter, but was speaking to the press about why he wasn't speaking to his daughter. So they've argued that the Mail printed kind of selective quotes from the piece and also breached her privacy by sharing that letter, which was never intended to be in the public eye. So that in itself, in a way, I think that is getting lost in the kind of shuffle now because that happened in November. And obviously now this story is so huge. You're kind of going, well, of course they've issued the press because they're actually going toe to toe with the press in a way that's, it's rare for the royal family. And it's also, to be honest, kind of rare for celebrities in general. Like, of course, there are instances where they will push back, but Organs like the Daily Mail, but you would have a big celebrity side to it too and have a very big presence online away from the paper. They're seen as a little bit untouchable and you kind of have to let them off with it and just hope you can counteract the messaging. So for them to really burrow down and go, you may be on the Royal Road up, but we're still going to take you to task over this conversation. And now that case has yet to be actually, you know, gone to trial and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, how that works out could change hugely how they're covered. Is there an Irish opinion on Megan? I mean, that's... Probably hard to say. I know when they visited here, there was huge interest and they had that event where they met kind of, you know, Irish musicians and journalists and all those people. And there seemed, seemed to be a sense of like, it's so great that you're here. I think there's definitely, I don't know, I think people generally speaking like them. But again, I think it's very generational and would depend who you ask. Yeah, it's, it. it's generational. And it's also about how you feel about the royal family right. or how you perhaps feel about you know, tradition, if you're kind of a traditionalist in other ways, you might like the fact that the royal family is traditional. I mean, pretty much the only thing the royal family has going for it is its tradition. That's kind of what it is. So if you see somebody who's raiding against that, you mightn't be necessarily on board with it. If you're somebody who's Irish and perhaps, you know, 
isn't too fond of the royal family, you probably do like Meghan Markle because she has, you know, she has changed things up a bit. Is there any other royal family around the world that they can look to for examples of reform or revolution? Well, I think that's kind of a funny thing as well, because I think when we talk about the royal family or the queen, we kind of act as if there's only one of them, you know. But the UK royal family is obviously one of many royal families around the world, especially in Europe. And most other royal families don't operate in the same way. You know, you have the monarch, you probably might have the second, and then you have maybe a couple of sons or daughters afterwards. That's like four people who are seen to be central to the royal family, whereas in the UK, it's a much larger thing. Um, There's been a lot of talk that Charles, when he does eventually become king, wants to kind of slim down the royal family so that there's less people involved in frontline royal duties. And in many ways, Harry and Meghan are perhaps getting ahead of the curve in that. They're saying they see this coming down down the road. So instead of being shafted, you know, we're going to make our own role now. Were there signs that this, I guess, uncoupling was coming? Well, I mean, the sun did kind of break well, a scoop, as they would say. Oh, I feel like a real journalist saying the word scoop. But Dan Watton, you know, had a big story, I think the day before, kind of a couple of days before. It was a day before, a couple of days before. It was I day think before. it was the front page of right, the big so, announcement. Yeah, yeah, when you see the stories online in the paper, they always feel like <laughs> days apart. Um, he kind of seemed to gazump them and scoop them by saying they have plans to do this, this and this and move away from the royal family. And they had been famously kind of off on their... Christmas holidays in Canada with spending time with family so they weren't there was no stories coming out about them in the press for a few weeks and this I'm curious if that maybe now this is sort of speculative but if it lit a fire under Megan Harry to go we need to act on this now and get ahead of this narrative which we've talked about that they're doing a very celebrity thing of how do we control the story and how do we maybe make it driven by us and not somebody else and I think in a weird way they're kind of damned if they do damned if they don't because if they had let say the sun story spoil that and then they're frantically behind the scenes trying to explain to the Queen what was going on or do they rush ahead of it and make the news about them in a bigger way either way the press are going to unbass them either oh you've got these plans didn't tell us or oh you're doing it so quickly and the Queen didn't even know so it's interesting because that's kind of getting a little bit lost in the conversation about it because there's so much press speculation now but you have to wonder a thing I found very interesting reading about it particularly from the American gossip blogs and outlets point of view they've noted the amount of leaks and the varying stories that seem to come out at various times suggests that there is a bit of discord in the royal camp and how things are done and i think it comes out it becomes more obvious when stories like this break and you realize well somebody had the insider info on this and this is a big story to just have out in the papers before you've announced it and i know you're being speculative connor but like to illustrate that even since the announcement Harry and William came out with a joint statement to say you know there was a a story in the Times that was then I think kind of built on by other papers the next day to say you know part of the reason they were leaving was because Harry or Harry and Meghan felt bullied by William and they came out to say you know we've done a lot of work in mental health charities the word bullying um, is a real triggering thing you shouldn't be talking like that and these reports were untrue we had said they were untrue when you asked us for comment Um, so it's it's interesting that one of the things are railing it's continued to happen yeah the sources and the and the sort of i mean when you think of the celebrity world sources often can be the celebrities themselves who have to have a very specific relationship with certain outlets but when you see it in the royal context it's very interesting to me an example i, I often use with people to illustrate the difference in coverage with say how the uk media treat them and the us media treat them is in the us thomas markle runs to tmz which is a big website and a very well-known site for breaking stories, but it's a gossipy website that doesn't have the best reputation in some quarters. In the UK, Thomas Markle goes on Good Morning Britain and talks to Piers Morgan on ITV. Like, the sort of status of outlets and how they're treated is very interesting. And even when you talk about sources and leaks and what goes where, 
it's kind of fascinating. The idea that the Times, which is this sort of hmm. like lofty, broad sheet paper is also like, you know, getting these kind of really specific leaks, which you would imagine with maybe reality stars or pop stars, but it's the royals. It's it's the coverage is very interesting. It certainly seems like there's different rules for the royal family than there is for other things. Like you mentioned, the Times there will quote things from, say, unnamed royal aides. And these kind of things make front page news where perhaps in other what you might consider hard news, it has to be backed up a lot more before you can run these kind of unsubstantiated claims. But when it comes to the royal family, very often it feels in the UK press that anything goes. And I think that's very much at the heart of what uh, Harry and Meghan have tried to stop. Like they say, a lot of it, it, it's fabrication and it's not good enough that you can just run these unnamed, uh, unnamed stories. I'm going to go straight back to my WhatsApp group now and tell them all the information I have learned in the last half hour. So thank you, David. Thank you, Ronan. And thank you, Connor, for coming into The Explainer. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Ronan, Connor and David for their work on this episode. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find episodes on how Met Aaron decides on weather warnings, which is more and more relevant with each week of weather that we're getting in 2020 and how a US president gets impeached. Again, another really important one at the moment. You'll also find some of our best bits from 2019. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you are enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And most importantly, please share it with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.